0: Well, I am thrilled to be with you this morning to share God's Word. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about Isaiah, prayer, and desperation for God. Isaiah, prayer, and desperation for God. Before we get there, I'd like to pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, we just ask for your help now. I ask for your blessing in Children's Church. God, I pray that your spirit would minister to these little ones powerfully. And God, I pray for your grace now for us that you would pour out upon us, God, a spirit of prayer that we would learn from your servant Isaiah who preached a hard message, God, who received a commission from you when he saw you on your throne high and lifted up. And Lord, he said, here am I, send me. And you sent him, Lord, and then you told him that they weren't going to listen. But I pray, God, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see what the Spirit speaks to the churches. Make us, God, a praying people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, that's where we're going to be beginning this morning. Um, <clears throat> as I, the, the book of Isaiah is an extremely powerful book. He's one of the major prophets, which means he's one of the long, long books. Um, he's one of the most prolific prophets in the Old Testament. As I said, God commissioned him to preach. And when God commissioned him to preach, God also told him that they weren't going to listen to him. I don't know how you'd like that job, but that's the, that's the job that, that Isaiah got. So people just, people listening to you isn't the test of your faithfulness. Obedience is the test of your faithfulness. But he had a hard ministry, and lots of lots of um, passages deal with prayer. And as I was reading through Isaiah a while back, just a number of them stood out to me. And as I think about the season in our church, and uh, this sermon is going to be a little bit heavy. So just prepare yourself. Preachers don't like preaching heavy sermons, or at least I don't. But sometimes they're necessary. Isaiah preached heavy message. But I do think it's something God has spoken to me about personally, and that I think he wants to speak to us as well. So we're going to look at some different passages in Isaiah about prayer this morning. And that's what I want to talk about, Isaiah, prayer, and desperation for God. We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 9. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the first passage we're going to talk about. We're going to begin in verse 8, Isaiah 9, verse 8 through verse 13. This is what it says. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down. But we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them nor inquire. Of the Lord of hosts. The Word of God. You may be seated. So, so let me give some context for you this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 is Isaiah's famous prophecy to King Ahaz of Judah. So remember that the kingdom of Israel after Solomon's reign during his son Rehoboam's reign, the kingdom of Israel split into two is Israel in the north, the northern kingdom and Judah in the south and Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms were often at odds throughout their histories after that point. And, um, at this point in Israel's history, uh, the king of uh, King Pekah of the northern kingdom of Israel has gone in league with Rezin, who was the king of Syria, which Syria's capital is Damascus for perspective there. So Pekah of Israel and, and uh, Rezin of Damascus have thrown in together to come against Judah in the south. OK, and of course, Ahaz is concerned about this, but God through Isaiah was going to give him a sign that he was going to deliver them. And that sign, as you will remember, was to be a child called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that child would be a sign that God would raise up the Assyrians as deliverance against them, against Judah. Now, if you go back and you read in 2nd, in 2nd Kings chapter 16 about King Ahaz, remember Judah in the south, Israel had nothing but bad kings. But Judah in the south, so remember that was the, the line of David. God had promised David that an heir to his throne would always sit on the throne of his kingdom. So, so Ahaz was probably the worst king that Judah had and Even though God had given him this promise of deliverance, Ahaz took things into his own hands and rather than trusting in the Lord, he decided to appeal to Assyria directly, which showed that he trusted in Assyria more than he trusted in God. Okay, and we know this because when he went to visit the Assyrians, he saw the altar that they were using to worship their false gods, and he thought that it was pretty nice and pretty cool, so he got an exact copy made and, and had it built there in Israel and forsook and put aside the altar that God had commanded him to build and started worshiping on the altar of Assyrians, and he even sacrificed his own son to false gods. And despite all of Ahaz's wickedness, God still preserved Judah For no other reason, really, except that he made the promise to David. And so God preserved David's offspring through the line of Ahaz. Anyway, it's called grace. Now, in this passage in Isaiah 9, God is rebuking and he's warning the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, so at this point, Assyria has already attacked Israel once. OK, and has destroyed a number of their cities. All right. And so it's and um, and has brought and has made them a vassal kingdom with heavy taxes. All right. But apparently that was a warning from God and Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, didn't get the message. So this is what they said. We just read. It says the Israelites, in spite of what God did already through the Assyrians. This is what they said. The bricks have fallen but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. In other words, yeah, the Assyrians wiped us out, but you know what? We're going to build back better. They doubled down on their disobedience to God rather than humbling themselves rather than humbling themselves and turning back to him. But the verse that I want us to focus on this morning, and it's a very sobering verse. And when I read it recently, it just really stood out to me. We don't don't normally like to memorize depressing verses, but I just felt like the Lord wanted me to memorize it. And probably we should memorize more depressing verses because we can learn something important from them. But it's verse 13. I want you to think about this the people did not turn to him who struck them nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. Now, God struck them because he wanted them to turn back to him. It's called discipline, right? But this the sad, the, the grievous and sad part of this verse is that the people did not turn to him who struck them. They did not inquire of the Lord of hosts. We can be so stubborn and hard-hearted sometimes, not realizing that our own situation is the result of our own sin, or our own indifference, or our own apathy that we just keep doubling down and keep doing what we've always been doing rather than getting out our faces and getting right with God. We can keep doing what we're doing in our own strength rather than turning to Him who struck us. You know, I believe that we are at a critical juncture in the life of our church. And of course, the... The, the, the path to our present state is complex. And I, I guess I just won't speak for everybody, but I'll speak from myself and just say that I can be honest and say I haven't been as desperate for God as I've needed to be. And I haven't been laser focused and intentional about making disciples as I've needed to be. And, and, I and we as a church, we can either just double down and keep doing what we've always been doing. Or we can get on our faces, we can turn to him who struck us, we can inquire of the Lord of hosts, and we can say, God, have mercy on us. God, pour out your spirit on us. God, we're not going to be like the Israelites who just are going to double down in disobedience. We can beg God for a fresh outpouring of His Spirit. We can entreat Him to embolden us, to fill us, to stir us, to use us, to make His name great here in Dodge County and around the world. We don't want to fall under the condemnation of this verse. The people did not turn to Him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. And I'm addressing prayer today because I'm convinced that, more than I've ever been convinced that if we don't become a praying people, this is just, this is true always, and it's true of us in every church. But I think it's especially true of us now. If we don't become a praying people, we're sunk. If God doesn't pour out a spirit of prayer upon us and burden us with prayer, we're not going to make it because the only thing God blesses is total dependence on him. The more we try things in our own way and in our own strength, the worse it's going to go. We must inquire of the Lord of hosts. We must take hold of him and refuse to let him go. So number one, judgment. I didn't even say my points. Number one, judgment must turn us to God in prayer. Judgment must turn us to God in prayer. That's number one. Number two. <clears throat> number two. They're in your bulletin, by the way. You got a little note sheet. Take notes. There's a note sheet in your bulletin for you to take notes on. I don't know if you knew that. Been It's been doing that for like a year now. Um So number two, beware trusting in anything rather than God in prayer. Number two, beware trusting in anything rather than God in prayer. So if you go to the book of Isaiah... And if you've never really studied the book of Isaiah, I encourage you to. I mean, there's a little historical things you got to dig into. But it's very sobering. Very helpful. As the ministry of Isaiah progresses, we see that Assyria, so Assyria is like the world power at this time, right? Which, by the way, Assyria doesn't exist anymore. What does that tell you? Nations rise and fall. America won't be here one day. It'll just be in the history books, just like Romans, just like the Assyrians. Okay. God's kingdom remains forever. As the ministry of Isaiah progresses, we see Assyria, which is the world power at the time. Assyria doesn't really make allies, right? So Ahaz, you know, went to kind of entreat Assyria, but Assyria wasn't interested in making, you know, Assyria is interested in what Assyria wants. It doesn't care about helping Judah. I'll take Israel. And by the way, I'll come for you later. Which is what happens. Ahaz would rise and fall, but Ahaz would have a son named Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was by and large a good king. Praise God. He trusted the Lord. But in the face of the military might of the world's superpower at the time, even great faith can flounder when faced with overwhelming and insurmountable odds. And we tend to forget and lean on human wisdom and human means And human methods to face our challenges. So, in the flame of a crucible, right? In the in the in the the pressure and the heat of the moment, simply trusting in God seems too simple, too naive, too weak, too passive, right? That's how it feels like. And Isaiah, as excuse me, Hezekiah, a great leader as he was, he was tempted to lean on Egypt for help against the Assyrians. Okay? But God spoke to Hezekiah through Isaiah, and this is what he said. This is what Isaiah uh, said to the people, Isaiah 31.1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because... They are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Horses don't ultimately save. Chariots don't ultimately save. Strength does not ultimately save. God saves. Hezekiah was tempted to go to Egypt instead of the Lord. Now, to be clear, I don't think that means we, we can't be practical about our problems. But it does mean this. If the last or even if the second place we turn for help is to God, then we're trusting in men, we're trusting in horses, we're trusting in things rather than trusting in God. Now, don't act like we don't do this. We get a bad diagnosis. We turn to doctors before we turn to the Lord. We get in financial troubles. We turn to the next money-making scheme before we turn to the Lord. We want a certain relationship or we want a certain decision to go our way. So we turn to tactics and scheming and flattery and manipulation rather than turning to the Lord. Woe to those who go to Egypt for help. Who rely on horses and trust in chariots. Woe to those who turn to human strength, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The lesson for us, I think, is clear. I believe in practicality. I got an engineering degree. I'm very practical. I believe in learning from others. I believe in reading books. I believe in adjusting methods and learning from best practices and, 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 you know, and doing everything within biblical bounds to reach people for Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is this. Unless the Lord blesses the undertaking, unless we get on our faces and get desperate for God, all the effort, all the practicality, all the energy, all the money you spend won't matter a hill of beans. It'll be a colossal waste of time. Just like for Hezekiah, all the military might in the world won't matter if God is against you. Deuteronomy 32. This is what Moses told the people. He says, For they are a nation void of counsel and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? You see, God can give you victory when you have nothing. and God can also decimate you when you have everything. If we want to see any blessing from God whatsoever, we can't trust in books, we can't trust in messages, we can't we can't look to anything until we've looked to the Lord. Some trust in chariots David said, Psalm twenty verse seven Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the King. May He answer us when we call. Judgment must turn us to God in prayer, number one. Number two, beware trusting anything in anything rather than God in prayer. Then finally, number three, deliverance comes through desperation for God in prayer. Deliverance comes through desperation for God in prayer. This is from Isaiah chapter 64, beginning in verse 1. This is what Isaiah said, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways, behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter and we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. We don't pray like that a whole lot. I'm not sure why. Isaiah didn't have much to say about how they deserved God's help. Because they didn't. Their sins climbed up to heaven. Their good deeds were little more than polluted garments. The Hebrew term carries the idea of menstrual rags. You say, Pastor, that's nasty. We're in church. I say that's what the Bible says our good deeds before God are like without faith. We have nothing to commend ourselves to God. You understand that in our relationship with God, we bring nothing to the table except our sin. That's all we bring to the table. We have nothing to commend ourselves to God except Jesus Christ. If we have any hope, it is the sheer mercy and grace of God. And so what I want us to see here is Isaiah's posture of humility and really just desperation, right, from God. And he laments, right? There is no one, he says, there is no one who calls upon your name, no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. And so it's my prayer that God... In this church, that he, that God will just stir some people to rouse themselves to take hold of God. We gotta rouse ourselves to take hold of God. We gotta get desperate for God. You know, the first thing to go in our lives always, every time is our prayer life. Why is the first thing always to go is our prayer life? Because you don't want to talk to somebody you've been sinning against. So we got to get, we got we to gotta cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse our conscience, just confess our sins to the Lord so that we can get desperate for him. Rouse ourselves to take hold of him. And I pray that God will do that, that God will rouse some people to just knock, knock, knock on the door, pleading before the throne of God for ourselves, for our church, for our country, crying for his sake and for him alone, for him to act for us. If there is a time for us to get desperate, I think it's now. It's time for us to get desperate. If we don't get desperate, things just aren't going to magically turn around. Making one or two changes here or there. Or even if if we move and change locations. Unless God shows up, we're wasting our time. You see, life is like swimming in a river. Right? You swim in a river. You just... You're piddling along, you're sitting in your tube, you're having a good time, you look up and you're way downstream. You've been dragged by the current because you weren't even paying attention. It takes supernatural power to swim upstream. It takes desperation knowing that if I don't actively get my arms moving to swim upstream, I'm just naturally going to be dragged down. In verse 5, Isaiah said, we sinned, in our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? You know, it's a rhetorical question. Shall we be saved? I think Isaiah is thinking, we shouldn't be. We don't deserve it. But what does he say? He says there at the end there, he says, be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We're all your people. That's the thing about God. It's an amazing thing about God. It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called forgiveness. It's called when we turn to Him, He'll take our sin and separate it as far as the east is from the west. And he'll remember it no more. And he'll look upon us. Because through Jesus Christ, we are his people. And so now is the time to get desperate for God. A little bit earlier in Isaiah, God exhorted his people, who were very downtrodden at this time, to not give up, but that he would answer at the right time, if they called on him and didn't give up. And this is what it says in Isaiah 62. This is another good verse worth memorizing. Isaiah 62.6 On your walls of Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. I believe God wants to set watchmen on our walls. People who, I love this, God tells us, he commands us, what does he say? He says, give him no rest. Wear God out with your praying. Give him no rest. You know, God asked Isaiah, God asked in the heavenly throne room, He said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah answered the call. He said, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. So the question I think the Lord wants to put... (laughs) to us this morning is who will be a watchman for us? I hope it's all of us. But I believe God's going to put a specific burden on a number of people to be a watchman on the wall for Cottondale Baptist Church. To rouse themselves to take hold of God. To answer the call to give the Lord no rest until he establishes our church as a bright and burning lamp in this community for his glory. You know, the call didn't end with Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I believe the Lord's speaking to somebody's heart this morning, saying, here I am, Lord. Send me. Who will ascend the wall? Who will keep watch? for us I'm going to close this sermon I want to give you the opportunity to respond if you feel the burden of the Lord to make prayer for the future of our church a special burden in your life if the Lord has spoken that to you this morning I just want you to let me know you can can come down here and tell me or you can tell me after the service but I'd like to know who you are and it will be and it'll be that those group of people who I think will be the seed of a, of a of a prayer ministry of our church and people that I can just lean on to be our watchmen on the wall. So if the Lord has spoken to you please let me know. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to do that. Now is the time for us to get desperate for the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We recognize, Lord, that in the big scheme of things, Lord, really our our individual lives are just a tiny thread in the tapestry that you're weaving. Even the life and the ministry of this church is just one single thread in the whole tapestry of human history that you're, you're weaving. But Lord, at the same time, we're your people, and this is your church, and we matter to you. And Lord, I believe that you have more in store for us. And so God, I pray that today you would make me and others, God, a watchman on the wall. that by your grace and by your spirit, you would help us to rouse ourselves to take hold of you and to give you no rest. Lord, to we're the church that you have called us to be. Lord, we, you love your churches. In the book of Revelation, you wrote personal letters to your churches. Um, sometimes with wor- most of, the, mostly with words of rebuke, but you loved them. You loved them, God. You love us. So God, rouse us. Help us. Lord, we need you. Act, Lord, for your name's sake. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.